Hey, we're so happy you found us online. The message you're about to hear was recorded live at Grace Family Church. We're a community following the call to love God, love people, and make a difference. We meet at four locations around Durban and at graceonline.tv. Go ahead and share this message, or you can download it and listen to it in your car or at home later today. Wherever you are in the world, wherever you're listening from, thank you for connecting with us, and may you be encouraged by the message coming up next. that song by John Mayer. I mean, who does it, right? We're in a series called Waiting on the World to Change. And the song of the same title captures the essence of how so many of us feel. He sings, you know, me and all my friends, we're all misunderstood. They say we stand for nothing and there's no way we ever could. Now we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it. We just feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. So we keep waiting. 
waiting on the world to change. I mean, isn't that how you feel so often? As you look around at the problems of our world, as you see corruption, you see you know, poverty, you see poor leadership and the, the devastating effect it has on so many people. I recently just finished reading a book called Steinheist, and it's all about the Steinhoff scandal and these, these business guys that lost you know, millions overnight. But the saddest part for me was reading about the people who lost their entire pensions as a result. I mean, it's devastating. But that's what always happens when greed and corruption seep into our society. It's the poor and the vulnerable who are usually the ones who take the biggest hit. We see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it, sings John Mayer. But we just feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. You know, I, I see poverty. I see injustice. I see all these things. But what can I do about it, right? I mean, I'm not the president. I'm not a politician or a policymaker. I'm not Elon Musk. I mean, heck, I can't even get my kids to bed on time. What, what difference can I really make? So I keep waiting, waiting on the world to change. The song goes on. It says, it's not that we don't care. We just know that the fight ain't fair. So we keep waiting, waiting on the world to change. It's not that we don't care. I mean, we do care. I know for me, and I'm sure for you, it breaks my heart to see people, you know, begging on the side of the road every day. It breaks my heart to see so many people unemployed in our country. It breaks my heart to see the oceans filling up with plastic. But what can I do about it? I mean, really? So I keep waiting waiting on the world to change. And of course, all of that is kind of the world out there and, and, and that, but what about my world? What about your world? We're also waiting for that to change so often. Mark spoke about this last week in, in the first part of the ser this series. In March 2020, just 10 days before uh, lockdown in South Africa, we, we moved into a new home and, and we, we love it. It's an incredible place. But, but guess what? We still... Uh, as right now, we haven't had transfer go through on that sale. It's just been a series of disasters and frustrations and expenses and miscommunications, waiting, waiting, waiting. And we're still waiting. Eight months later, we're just trusting, praying, and hoping that God comes through for us. For others, maybe you're just waiting for 2020 to be over. Amen? Waiting for things to get better. Waiting for a vaccine, perhaps. Waiting to travel to see loved ones. Perhaps waiting for your health to get better, for that injury to heal, to go off the meds, waiting for the kids to grow up, waiting for that breakthrough, waiting to meet the right person, waiting for your ship to come in. But if we're not careful, it's so easy to fall into this trap of when I, you know, when I graduate, when I get married, when 2020 is over, when I, because when I generally leads to then I, then I'll be happy, then I'll be satisfied, then I'll be content, then I'll be secure, then I'll be happy. I heard someone say that being an adult is basically saying, but next week should calm down for the rest of your life. <laughs> I mean, how depressing is that? But what if I told you that the wait is over? What if I told you today that it doesn't have to be this way? What if I told you that you can actually right now experience the fullness, the richness, the abundance of life that Jesus, that God promises to us? What if I told you that you in fact can make a difference in this world? That in fact you were born to make a difference? 
What if I told you? Would you believe me? Would you call me naive? Regardless, that's what I've come to declare to you today. That the wait is over. That things can be different. They can be better in Jesus' name. Let me read to you from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, starting in verse 14. It says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. I mean, what powerful words, what a powerful promise, a declaration. Let me just stop there because maybe you've heard this scripture before and, and now you've maybe become accustomed to it and it, it maybe even has lost its power over you. So let me read Jesus' words again as he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. He says, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. I feel the Spirit of God on me right now to tell you, you are free. Your freedom has been bought. You are no longer bound to your past. You're no longer bound to what they said about you because of Christ. I've come to tell you today that God wants to restore your sight, your vision. That he wants to open your eyes to see things, to see your circumstances, to see your problems, to see the people around you. Not how you see them, but how he sees them. I actually believe there are people listening to this right now. And, and God has given you, yes, you, a vision a long time ago, a vision for your life, a vision to actually make a difference, make an impact. And you've actually allowed that vision to fade. And you've let the clutter and the responsibility of life cloud out the dream, a God-given dream. And God is saying, today I'm declaring recovery of sight for the blind. Sometimes people ask, I know I've asked, God, why aren't you doing something about that? You know, poverty or homeless or whatever. And sometimes I feel like God is saying, I am doing something about it. I'm right now birthing visions and callings in the hearts of people to go out there and to make a difference, to use the time, the talent, and the treasures that I've given to them to have an impact on the world. But sadly, too often those treasures remain hoarded and those visions die behind closed doors before they ever even have a time to breathe. And it's a tragedy. So I say no more. I say restore our vision, Lord. Jesus is not done reading from the scroll. He says, He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Say favor. I know you're watching this through a screen, but who cares? Sometimes we need to say things out loud for them to stick into our souls. I've come to declare the year of the Lord's favor. Then it says he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Basically, in modern terms, that would read, Then Jesus dropped the mic. <laughs> it says the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. I love that line. It's like Jesus has them exactly where he wants them. Because now he's about to drop the most important thing he would say that day. He said this, Today 
this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today it is fulfilled. Today it is fulfilled. Today. Not tomorrow. Not when 2020 is over. Not one day when. Today. Jesus is saying, I'm the real deal. I'm the fulfillment of the promise. I am the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, Israel. I'm the answer to the question you're asking. I'm the solution to the problem you're having. I'm the only one who can fill the hole you feel inside. And they could reject this, and we today can reject this. We're free to do this. You, you could say even now as you're listening, Tom, you know, are you telling me that Jesus is the answer to the world's problems, to my problems, all of them? Because that sounds a little oversimplified, if I'm honest. And maybe it is. But maybe it's not. You see, Jesus changed everything. After he read the scroll, after he went to the cross, after he died and resurrected again, he appeared to his disciples. In fact, he appeared to over 500 people. And we can actually read those eyewitness accounts. And he told his disciples to remember what he had taught, how he had lived. And they did. And the world was forever changed. They became the followers of the way, they called themselves. And it was followers of the way, followers of Christ, who started the first orphanages, the first hospitals. They remembered what Jesus said, you know, come to me, the little children. And, and when he said, care for the sick. I mean, hospitals and orphanages, these were things that never existed before Jesus. So whenever you say the words Salvation Army or Red Cross or World Vision or YMCA, you speak, know it or not, of the movement of Jesus. It was Christian monks who first began to collect manuscripts in order to educate people, uh, it, which led to the first university built by the church in Paris in the 12th century, and then Oxford and Cambridge in the 13th, all based on this idea that all truth is God's truth, and everyone should have access to it. I mean, even the creation of the modern calendar as we know it, I mean, it's based on the birth of Jesus. We talk about A.D., you know, it, it's not just a chronological convenience. It's a theological statement that life in this universe is not an accident. It's a story with a storyteller. So whatever your thoughts on Jesus are, the fact remains, 2,000 years after the birth of this carpenter, every time any human being anywhere on the planet opens a calendar, checks the date, unfolds a newspaper, we are reminded every day that Jesus Christ has become the hinge of human history. It's astounding if you think about it because Jesus was not a political figure. He had no connections with Caesar, with Rome. He was not rich. He, never, he led no military action. He never wrote a book. He never he traveled in a very small area of the world. His followers were uneducated and unimportant people, fishermen, tax collectors. And yet 2,000 years later, and it's virtually impossible to imagine our world apart from his imprint on it. And so when Jesus read from Isaiah that day in the synagogues, when he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, I'm the one you've been waiting for, man, he meant it. And it changed the world. Of course, it wasn't exactly well received. I mean, this statement would have been completely radical and heretical to many listening to say that I am the one that, that, is, that Isaiah had prophesied. See, the context for the people of Israel was that they were waiting for this Messiah but the expectation of a Messiah was someone who would come to, you know, riding on a you know, chariot and would rescue the people of Israel from the oppressive, tyrannical rule of Rome. You know, think Braveheart, think Gladiator. And so, so when this, this carpenter from a kind of nowhere town 
rocks, this carpenter's son from a nowhere town announces himself as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, they're not really sure what to make of it. In fact, the very next line, Luke actually records in the gospel, it says, but isn't this Joseph's son? Some get so mad, the text says that they got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. They literally wanted to kill Jesus because of this. And it may seem extreme now reading it, but I find this reaction quite interesting because he just declared all this awesome stuff over the people, you know, freedom for the captives and sight to the blind, and they want to kill him. Why? Because he didn't fit the picture they had. And I think it's easy for us today to think, you know, look back on that and say, oh, I, I would have known, I would have recognized Jesus if I was there. And yet so often we don't. And I don't. And so could it be that the answer God is giving you to the problem that you're having is not the one you want, so you reject it? Can I say that again? Could it be that the answer that God is giving to you to the problem you have is not the one you want, so you reject it? It's like, God, I need you to break through my finances. And God says, well, I need you to stop spending so much. God, I need you to bring someone into my life. Well, I need you to get comfortable in your own skin before you do, before that happens. See, the answer Jesus gave to the people was the answer they needed, but not the answer they wanted. So they tried to kill him. And I think we do this all the time, except sometimes I think we kill the messenger. You know, Don't tell me how to live my life. How dare, you know, how dare they talk about money in church? <laughs> I, was, I was having my hair cut the other day at a hair place, and it was the first time I'd been there, so it was a new hairdresser, and she was asking me questions, you know, so what do you do? And I'm always like, oh, here we go. You know, so I'm like, well, I'm actually a pastor at, at a church called Grace, you know. And she immediately sort of froze up, I could see, um, and, you know, she nicked my ear and blood started, no, she, she, she started telling me, she said, you know, I went to Grace five years ago and, and they were talking about money. And so I left and I'll never go back. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> I just wanted to get out of there. I'm like, what, what do I say? You know, I said, I get it. I, I'm sorry. I just said, I'm sorry. You know, we do a series like that once a year. Maybe if I were her, I wouldn't have come back either. But, but hey, maybe God brought her there that day because the, that's the very thing she needed to hear had to do with money because money is a hard issue. I, I don't know. But I, I do know we can't make everything so palatable that we never get to the real issues that are keeping people in bondage and slavery. That's not the call of the church. Or that, That's why Jesus says, I've come to set the captors free. The problem is sometimes we're our own worst enemies. We, we, we are captors to our own devices. We're the, we're the prison to ourselves. I've been listening to an incredible um, podcast series by Andy Stanley uh, on parenting. Uh, it's called Parenting in the 21st Century. I highly recommend it to the parents out there. But um, he talks about this idea of, of, of the real versus the ideal. And he says, you know, the ideal can seem so out of reach sometimes that it feels easier to kind of put it out of sight or to not talk about it. But he says part of being a parent, and I think part of life, is, is pointing ourselves, pointing people towards the ideal. While at the same time, you know, recognizing and, and navigating the real. He says, Andy says, truth without grace creates pretenders and hypocrites. Absolutely. But grace without truth creates a permissive version of faith that hurts everyone in the end. And so he says, Jesus was the full embodiment of truth and grace. He never dumbed down the truth, but he never turned down the grace. It's like everything was turned up. I love that. 
And I think it's helped me, not just in parenting, but in so many aspects of life to say, hey, you know what? There is the real. This is hard. Yes, 2020 sucks. You know, I've got some issues I've got to work through. You've got some issues. Marriage takes work and effort. You know, work's not amazing. Whatever, people are struggling. Ministry can be lonely. It's tough. But I think we get so sometimes caught up in the real that we kind of camp there. We, we live there and we lose sight of the ideal. But you know what? Yes, ministry is hard and, and, and all that stuff. But I was born for this. This is why God put me on earth. And yes, marriage is hard and it takes work, but it can also be incredibly beautiful and profound and sweet. Yes, 2020 has been crazy, but it's not over yet. And God has good plans for me, for you. I'm favored. I have the spirit living within me. I can overcome all things through Christ who gives me strength. And as we declare these things, not in some blind sort of naive way, but in, can I say, a prophetic way, then they come into being. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy is not predicting the future. Prophecy is creating it. It's speaking into life that which is not yet. And that's what the prophet Isaiah was doing 700 years before Jesus. So for the rest of our time today, I really kind of just want to read to you and over you these prophetic words of Isaiah. These same words that Jesus read that day in the synagogue. And I, and I encourage you, wherever you are and however you're watching this, to just kind of let those words wash over you. Let the words go deep. Let the Spirit of God speak to you through these timeless words. And in fact, let them detonate in your soul. So let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 9. It says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We have the favor of God in our lives. You, you are a child of God. Made in His image with infinite value and worth. And let me say this, no one can touch that. It's sacred, man. Doesn't matter what they think, doesn't matter what they say, doesn't even matter where you've been, what you've done, or what you think. God knows you and He loves you. One of my favorite artists is a guy named Charlie Mackesy. Um, and uh, he, he writes, he does these beautiful drawings of the horse, the boy, the fox, and the mole. And, and uh, one of the, the, it's just these short little cartoons. And, and the one little cartoon, it's, the boy says, so you, so you know all of me, asked the boy. Yes, said the horse. And you still love me? We love you all the more. That's how God feels of, around us, over us. Jesus, the, the, the scriptures say, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. For some of you, 2020, it's been a year of grieving, a year of mourning. And I want to pray God's comfort over you right now. Isaiah goes on, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes some of you right now maybe it feels like you're just covered in ashes man and i just have a picture of god right now bestowing a crown on your head and i say just receive it you didn't earn it you can't earn it god just wants to give it to you because he loves you because you're his son because you're his daughter receive the crown the oil of joy instead of mourning Oil sticks to you. It reminds you of God's presence. It gets on your skin. Oil is a symbol of the presence of God in our life. 
So let it flow, this oil of joy, where there's been sorrow. Let joy rise in your heart like a sunrise casting away the darkness. Isaiah says, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Some of you watching right now, you have a spirit of despair and it's a heavy spirit. It weighs you down. And I say, let God take it off of you. Only he can. Let him give you a new garment, a garment of praise. It's light. It won't weigh you down. You can lift your arms and praise him in it. You don't have to wait till good things or till things are good to praise Him. You can praise Him when things aren't good. In fact, that's the best time to praise Him. I love the song um, Highlands, the, uh, the Ascent by Hillsong. And uh, the words say, so I will praise you on the mountain and I'll praise you when the mountain's in my way. You are the summit where my feet are. It's right now. It's not someday when, it's right now. So I will praise you in the valleys all the same. No less God within the shadows. No less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is. In the highlands and the heartache, all the same. Let's go back to Isaiah. He continues to prophesy. He says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. I don't know, if you, I don't know much about trees, but I know oak trees are big. I know they're beautiful. I know they stand strong. They're undaunted by the wind and the weather and their roots go deep. It reminds you what the Apostle Paul writes in, in his letter to the uh, church in Colossae. In Colossians 2, it says, Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. I believe God is saying, let, let's, let our, let's let our roots go down deep. I heard a story about um, how... Uh, jungles work, forests work, and there's different levels of canopies in, this, in these forests. And the, the older trees, the bigger trees, obviously take uh, the top of the canopy and they take up most of the light. And so the younger trees, they actually don't get a lot of light. And so what they do is to conserve their energy, they take all of the energy because they aren't able to photosynthesize as much. They take all of the energy and they put it into building their trunks, thickening their trunks. And what they found is that the, the, the trees that had done that for the longest period of time actually have the they actually last the longest because they've got the strength in their trunks. And where they've cut down the older trees too soon or the older trees have died too early or whatever, then the, the younger trees that shoot up much quicker, but they haven't had the chance to strengthen their trunk. And so if you maybe feel like one of those little trees, you feel like you're in a season of darkness. It feels like you're not getting a lot of sunshine. Don't despair. God is using it to strengthen your core, to strengthen your trunk. Can I keep going? Because I think God is speaking to, to you right now. The, the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet is, is, is declaring things over our lives. He says God is, it's like he's creating new futures right now. God is changing trajectories right now. He says they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. I, I believe God wants to restore marriages, relationships that have long been devastated. You know, as a pastor, I sometimes get, you know, these emergency calls in the middle of the night, you know. Hey, my marriage is falling apart. I need to see you like now. And I'm thinking, hey, bro, your marriage has been falling apart for 17 years. You know, I'll see you on, you know, Wednesday morning or whatever. Um, but, but I believe God can do it. I, I've actually seen him do it. Take marriages that have been going like this for 16 years with affairs and all kinds of stuff and hurt and pain. And I've seen God turn them around. I've seen him do turnarounds in my own marriage. God can restore what the locusts have stolen. And yes, it takes work. 
All relationships take work and effort. It takes softening of the heart. It takes repentance. Some of you, I think you need to, you know, turn to the person you're watching with and just say sorry or go home and say sorry. Some of you need to just get over yourselves. Stop being such grumpy old fart. I mean, and can I say that? On, I don't know if I, I just said it. Some of you need to buy your wife some flowers now. Some of you need to stop nagging your husband. Isaiah says they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. I think God wants to break generational patterns in our lives. So we don't have to parent like we were parenting. We don't have to repeat patterns of addiction or abuse or divorce. He says, strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in, an, in your inheritance. And again, I pray that over you right now, listening to this. I pray a double portion over you. I pray a, a double portion over this church, over your family. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. Thank you, Jesus, for these words from the prophet Isaiah written nearly 3,000 years ago and yet so true today, still so relevant to our lives, still so encouraging and inspiring. But Lord, all of these, all of these things came true because of you. So we thank you for that. Amen. We're going to close uh, this message today with a time of communion and we're going to share communion if you haven't already you still got some time to go grab some juice and cracker or a piece of bread and uh, we're going to participate in communion together this is something we do quite regularly usually once a month uh, at grace and and it's just a reminder of what christ has done for us because all of that all that stuff i just read from the prophet isaiah it was all fulfilled in jesus that's why jesus stood up that day and said Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And I'm sure there, there would have been people there, the disciples would have rejoiced in hearing that. And yet not long after that, Jesus went to the cross and he died. A criminal's death on a cross. And he bled for our sake. That's what the, the wine represents, the, the juice. It represents his blood shed for us. On the night before he's betrayed, he took the blood and said, take this and drink. This is my blood which will be shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And then he went on to shed his blood. That same night he took the bread and he, he broke it and he gave God thanks and he says, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat in remembrance of me. And then he went to the cross and his body was indeed broken for our sake. And that's what we remember that's what we reflect on when we take communion together. And this is something that followers of Christ, followers of the way have been doing ever since Jesus commanded it on that, on that fateful night. But here's the thing I just wanted to say. You see, he's, he, Jesus declares, today this scripture has been fulfilled. Then he dies. And the disciples, man, they thought this was all over. They thought, well, Jesus obviously wasn't who he said he was because he's dead. But on the third day, a stone got rolled away. 
on the third day, a tomb was left empty and the promise was fulfilled once and for all. And so perhaps even as you participate in communion, even as you watch this video today, perhaps maybe you feel like you're in darkness, but may I just propose, may I propose for a second that it's not the darkness of a tomb that you're in, but rather the darkness of a womb, that there is a new birth, that from this darkness you will be, there's an opportunity for, for, for new life to be reborn. That's why Jesus says you need to be reborn. And so even as you take communion today, maybe you've never actually crossed the line of faith. Maybe you've never actually said, well, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of, your life, of my life. Well, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. And it's a very simple prayer. It's just, sorry, thank you, please. Sorry for what I've done. Thank you for what you've done for me on the cross, for your sacrifice for me. Please come into my life. I, I, I don't want to be in charge anymore. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And you could pray that however you're watching. You can be watching on a phone. You can be watching with other people. You can be watching on a TV. However you're watching, maybe today's the day you want to pray a prayer that goes like that. And we'd love to know. If you pray, if you, if you pray a prayer like that or if you, you want to pray a prayer like that, just kind of write the comments or get in touch with us and we'd love to connect with you. But what I'm going to ask you to do now, hopefully you've got your bread and your, and your, your juice, your wine and your, your bread. And we're going to take communion. And then I'm going to play you the song called The Blessing. It's a fantastic song. Maybe you've heard it before. And we've actually got a recording that we recorded back in hard lockdown in South Africa when we had, you know, we were all in homes and we recorded some of our worship leaders and singers and, and volunteers. We recorded them in their homes singing this incredible song. And it actually comes out of, uh, uh, straight out of the scripture. And it has, when you, when you hear the words of the song, it's, it kind of echoes the words of Isaiah chapter 9. This blessing that I would love to sing over you today and so when you're ready let's take the bread and remember Christ's body broken for us let's eat together Let's drink together and remember Christ's blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sins for all. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've been blessed and may you be blessed through this song. Be gracious to you, the Lord turn.
together. children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is with you he is with you and the morning in the evening in your coming and your going in your weeping and rejoicing he is for you he is for Shine.
precious to you, the Lord turned his face toward you and give you peace.